Lantern Podcast Episode 7, Crafting a Successful Online Course with Kylie Bennett. In this episode, I have a wonderful conversation with Kylie Bennett about how to create an online course that your audience will love. We dig into how to know what to teach. Can you market and promote this class with excitement? Because that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Planning and laying out your course. You have to create a lesson plan. And options for hosting and selling your course when it's complete. If you have a class that does well, you are going to have the opportunity to have thousands upon thousands of eyes on that class. Welcome to Lantern, the podcast where we shine a light on making it as a maker. I'm your host, Julianne Steedman, professional artist, mentor, and champion for makers. The Lantern Podcast explores what it takes to be a maker, someone who creates beauty with their hands. We delve into how to create in a way that is sustainable and authentic, and dig deep into how to take your making and turn it into a successful creative business. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Kylie Bennett to the show. Kylie is a crazy talented artist the author of two amazing books, and an educator. She has created an array of successful online courses on topics like hand lettering, crafting clay earrings, learning Procreate, and more. But the secret thing here is that Kylie's real superpower is teaching others how to create a successful online class. So Kylie, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Can you give us a bit of background about yourself? I sure can. Uh, I'm Kylie Bennett, and I'm a born and bred Kentuckian, which is where my business name, Kylie Kentucky, comes from. And I'm from a really, really, really small town in central Kentucky. Um, So small, in fact, that my mom was my husband's second grade teacher. So I always throw that fun fact out there because (laughs) that shows you just how small the town I'm from. Uh, Personally, I love coffee, and I love cats, and I love to sew, but... In my business, I officially launched Kylie in Kentucky in 2016 Mm -hmm. with an online shop. Um, And after that didn't work, mostly because I discovered I was really terrible at having an online shop, (laughs) I quickly transitioned into teaching online courses. And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since then. And I also have written two lettering books and I work as a graphic designer as well. So I kind of do a lot of things these days. Awesome. So you transitioned from opening a shop and then you moved into the online course world. Yes. I just really discovered that I had no passion for shipping. I had no passion for listings and for marketing products. Mm. That just was not where my heart was. And I had learned so much from online courses when I was getting started in my business mm-hmm. that I always knew that's a, that's a way that I eventually wanted to share my gifts with the world. And so when the shop thing didn't work out, it became a really natural next step for me to start thinking about courses. Cool. So you host your courses through Skillshare. What made you choose that platform? Well, I originally was not on Skillshare. And a lot of people that follow me now probably don't realize that. But I started filming and recording courses and hosting them through this platform called Teachery, which is really similar to Teachable, which I think is what more people are familiar with. But it's basically just a private um, course platform where a person can purchase the class 
and then have it for as long as they need to take it. And I, I had had a Skillshare membership for as long as I can remember, probably since 2013, actually. Mm-hmm. But it just, I didn't really see the appeal for me to put my courses on Skillshare because I didn't know if the money was going to be there, mm. like it would be for hosting the courses privately, you know, where there's that transaction of money yep. at the beginning and that's like right into your pocket. You know, that's a really yeah. great thing. But I just really wasn't sure, mostly because Skillshare has such a large audience. And if you have been on Skillshare, you know that there are just thousands upon thousands of classes and it seems really intimidating. But a company that I really enjoyed working with asked me to it asked me if they could sponsor a class on Skillshare and they wanted me to teach it. And so this seemed like kind of my in, right? Like this is a low risk way for me to dip my toe into Skillshare and just see what it's like. Mm -hmm. And they promised that they would help me market this class. So that took all the pressure off. And once I created this class and put it on Skillshare from there, I was like, oh my gosh, I see it now. Like I see what the benefits of this platform are. And that's basically just if you have a class that does well on Skillshare, you are going to have the opportunity to have thousands upon thousands of eyes on that class. People that did not know you before finding your class on Skillshare. And that is such an advantage. So I wish that I hadn't waited as long as I did, but I'm so glad that that's where I am now. Hmm. So how does Skillshare actually work from the teacher's perspective? Mm-hmm. So you basically just start your channel by posting a class. You film and upload your own class mm-hmm. to the Skillshare channel. And then from there, you can use, there's a couple of options to tag your class with keywords, sort of like on Etsy. Um, you can use keywords to help the Skillshare al- algorithm find your class. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also can just title your class something that you feel students might be looking for. So if mm-hmm. you're doing a watercolor class, beginners watercolor or watercolor 101 or something like that where you feel like people on here are probably searching for this it's actually super similar to etsy in that sense if you're familiar with that so from there um you are paid as a teacher per minutes watched every month and so obviously the more minutes are being watched of your class the higher the payout and the more classes you have on your skillshare channel the more opportunity for you to have more and more minutes watched Mm -hmm. every month. So it's really up to you, the teacher, to decide what you want your Skillshare channel to be and to really maximize the potential there and to have a full library of classes for Skillshare members to enjoy. Because another thing about Skillshare is once a student finds you and they like your class, they're going to want more from you. Because they really, they feel comfortable with you now Mm -hmm. and they trust you as a teacher. So they're hoping that you put out more and more classes so that they can keep learning from you. That is very true. I'm on Skillshare as well. And I have teachers that whenever I log in, I'll often go back to them to see if they put anything new up because you've taken one course from them and you're like, yep, this person is awesome. I want to see what else they're going to put out. Yes. And it's since it's per minutes watched, if you rewatch a class, or if your student rewatches your class a couple times to kind of get the process down, all those minutes are being counted. So just to use um, our friend and mentor, Bonnie Christine, Mm -hmm. as an example, I would watch her classes over and over again when I was first learning how to use Illustrator and how to design patterns. And so there's no telling how many minutes I have watched of her classes. (laughs) And so it's really great if you have that type of topic where someone might 
be tempted to go back to it time and time again, that also helps you. So it's just a really great platform Mm. in that way. So if you're a maker or an artist, how do you know when you're ready to move into teaching about your work? Well, I think that there is often this internal pull that we feel toward teaching. And Mm -hmm. I just, I felt this myself, but a lot of people that I've talked to about it have said that they were just pulled toward teaching it. Something in them just felt like maybe I want to have an online class and maybe you're dreaming of having classes or every time you watch a class, you think how you might go about teaching this topic yourself. And Mm -hmm. that That's also something that you need to pay attention to. Um, I think there's like a creative part of us that eventually we will feel just compelled to start sharing our process in a different way or to start sharing our gifts in a new way. And I think that this is a really great sign that you might be ready to consider teaching. And this is workshops or online teaching, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you just think, hmm, I might like to do this in the future, definitely something to consider. But there's also those instances where your community is actually asking you for it. And that is a really obvious sign that you might be ready to start considering teaching. Probably the best sign there. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you go about choosing an actual topic? Well, there are circumstances where if your audience is asking you for something, it'll be probably pretty obvious what they're asking you to teach. And for me in the beginning, since I started my business as a brush lettering artist a beginner's brush lettering class was really the obvious Mm. first step for me. So if you have that type of skill that there is a high demand for people wanting to learn that skill, then that's a great place to start. But there's also instances where your community might be asking you to let them in on a part of your process that you hadn't really considered. So maybe your audience is saying like, Hey, you've seemed to crack the code on Instagram. Like I see that, Every time you post something, you get so many comments and you get a lot of engagement and Mm -hmm. you have beautiful photographs. And so you might not have ever thought about teaching your process, approaching Instagram as an artist or as a creative, but that might be something to consider too. Yeah. Um, And then there are cases where you might not have a topic at all, but you really want to teach or you have a ton of ideas and you can't really focus in on those. And that's kind of where I tend to fall. (laughs) After that first class that I got out, I was like, okay, I did it. The bandaid has been ripped off. Now I have a million ideas and I don't know where to start. And so if that is you, or even if you have no ideas at all, I definitely recommend doing a brain dump or a super (laughs) thinking session where you just get all your thoughts out on paper and you write down every single thing that you know how to do in your business, whether that is the actual making artistic side of it or whether it's the technical side, because we often as creatives overlook all the technical things that we do in our business. Mm. And there are a lot of other artists out there who are stuck there and don't know how to move forward and they want to be taught. So for instance, for me and my business, I take a lot of pictures. I take a lot of photos and I have a process down for that. And that's a skill that a lot of other artists feel they don't have or can't Mm -hmm. learn on their own. Yeah. And so teaching something like that even is a really great way to find a topic that you, you know, would appeal to your audience and is, there is a need for that. Mm. And so if you are stuck, um, between three or five or seven topics that you you aren't sure which one you want, 
think about, I have a couple filters that I like to put things through. You can think about what feels most possible to you. So what would be the easiest one to move forward with? Or you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops. You don't have to buy anything new. Mm-hmm. And it, this would be the easiest thing to teach. B, would your audience love this? Mm. And C, can you market and promote this class with excitement? Because that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So if you can't, after this class is done and hosted online, if you can't be so excited to share it with your audience, then it might not be the right time to mm. teach that course. So after you filter your topics through those questions, it should become pretty clear which one is jumping out at you to start with. So if you've narrowed down a topic, how do you figure out if there's going to be a market for it? I mean, obviously, if your audience has asked you <laughs> to do something, that's kind mm-hmm. of like a you know no-brainer. But let's say you've narrowed it down, but you want to make sure you know, that there's an audience out there. Right. So if your audience hasn't been asking you for a course, don't assume that they don't want the one that you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. They might not realize they want it until you let them in on it. And the simplest and best way to do this is just to let them in and just say, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Would you be interested in this? And I like to do a broadcast across all my platforms, including my email list, Mm -hmm. and just let my audience know this is what I'm thinking about doing. And I find it really helpful instead of saying to your audience, would you be interested in an online course on this, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like asking them um, in about three months, are you willing to pay me money for this? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. (laughs) Which not always the best way to approach it. I've done it before and it's been fine, but there's a better way to do it. And that is to actually let them in on it and help them to feel like they have some stakes in it for themselves. So instead of saying, are you interested in this online course? You can say, I want to share my process for this topic. Tell mm-hmm. me, what are your pain points around this? Mm. If I could teach you anything about this, what would it be? And that helps your community feel like they have a personal stake in what you're working on. And they are so much more likely to have an active interest in your course when it comes out because they feel like their personal problems are going to be addressed and they're going to figure things out. And that's so invaluable to a student. Having been a student and on that end of it so many times before, I can say from experience, that's the thing that I want the most. And it also gives you information as you're laying out your course outline. You can look at all those comments and you can make sure you include all the things that people actually want to learn. Yeah, yeah. You've got some great data already to start going with. Yeah. And I feel like I should say this because it happens. If you don't generate that many responses, don't be discouraged. Um, You might have to ask a couple times before you get enough responses, but you also, you might want to just consider whether your topic is maybe too broad or it's too niche and you might need to find a happy medium. And so if you're a painter and you just ask, what are your struggles with painting? Yeah. That might be kind of overwhelming. Yeah. People might have a lot of struggles with painting and they don't know where to start. Or they might be painting it. with like, you know, watercolor or acrylic or yes. oil. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to focus in on, I'm going to teach about oil painting. What's your struggle with oil painting? Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, the, I don't know anything about oil painting. So probably the worst example I could have used. But <laughs> just if there's something you know that can be taught within this umbrella of your topic, then maybe focus in on that. And and don't discount 
doing a foundational course, like a beginners or a 101 course mm-hmm. at first, knowing that you can then build off that and do intermediate and advanced courses in the future too. That's true. Yeah. So after that, I guess you need to actually make the course. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people don't actually have teaching experience. And I think that that can feel really intimidating. So how do you move forward from there? Yes, can be really hard. And you have to do a very teacherly thing in this next step. And you have to create a lesson plan, which (laughs) sounds like so professional. But a lesson plan is just an outline. Mm -hmm. And you've created a million outlines in your life for a variety of things and you know how to do it. It's not that hard. All you're doing with the outline is you're actually putting lesson one, lesson two, lesson three out to the side. So it's actually super easy to create an outline. You just think of this process, think of what you're teaching and think of how you learned to do it Mm -hmm. and think about the order in which it makes sense to you to present this information, to make it easy for your students to digest it. So keep in mind that lessons don't need to be super long. So if you're feeling stifled to get, you know, five lessons out, think about can one of these lessons actually become two lessons? So maybe a 30 minute, a 30 minute lesson on um, mixing watercolors can become two 15 minute lessons where in the first lesson you cover colors and how colors work together and in the second lesson that can be talking about the right consistency for your watercolor Mm -hmm. so really don't be afraid to get in there and get nitty-gritty with your lessons and try to break them down into as many as you can that's you know a solid number that won't be overwhelming for your students won't be too much for them to take in at once And I think a good guide to go with is about five to 10 lessons for a class is a really great place to start. Mm -hmm. And then also something I've done before that's so helpful, find somebody to look at your lesson plan. So this can be a um, potential student. So there's, there's lots of people in my community that when I think of who is this course for, I, I think of a couple faces. It is totally okay to reach out to them and to say, Hey, could you look at this and, as a student, if you saw this lesson plan, would this make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Or you can have somebody that's created courses before that you trust and say, hey, can you look at this and tell me what needs to move around? Is this too detailed? Is this too broad? Help me out. And Mm -hmm. that's totally okay to have somebody get eyes on your lesson plan at this point, because it's only going to make your process moving forward even easier. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, Filming must come next after you've finished the lesson plan. How do you go from the written lesson plan to the actual filming of the class? Yeah. Well, (laughs) one thing, (laughs) so much happens. You've got to be like a writer and a director, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you have to put on all your hats. Um, The first thing that you need, the first hat you need to put on is, is your, probably your writing hat some more, honestly, because for me, I like to write a script. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very personal preference. This will seem very excessive to some people. And <laughs> to some people, this will seem like, oh, I can take a breath because she actually has to have a script to teach. You yeah. know, it's not this thing that you just sit in front of a camera and all this information Magically. just flows yeah. out of you. Yeah, <laughs> not the case. You've got to, I mean, for me, I have to have a script. And I always tell people, have at least a very detailed bullet point. Thing that you're going to go like note cards or something yeah. because first of all when you have a script or really detailed note cards it helps you make sure you don't forget anything important yeah. because when you're in front of the camera it is so easy to just completely skip over something 
And especially when you know your process so well, it's really easy to just skip things because you know what you're doing. That's you true. Forget that your students don't know all the little things that go into teaching this topic. So I do a script. It does take extra time, but it saves time filming and it saves time editing too. Because we don't have to take as many takes and stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So super helpful to do that. I also like to treat filming like a special event. Once again, might seem extra to people, but I'm an extra kind of person. So I like <laughs> to block days off on my calendar so that it feels like this this meeting, this like little retreat kind of that I'm having with myself. Yeah. Um, and two to three days is my filming process. Since I use natural light, I really have to utilize daylight hours. And mm-hmm. so I have to stretch my filming out between a couple of days. But if you're not using natural light, then you won't have to do that. So once again, this is a personal choice. Um, I also pick out a wardrobe if I'm going to be seen on camera. I do my nails because I'm always filming my hands. Yep. And I like to clean up my filming area. I like to style my filming area and just make it look cute. And these are things that help me get in the right headspace before filming because that's a big part of it too is you have to approach filming ready to like dive in and get it done it also it makes the end product all that much you know better you know when you've got all those components together yes and i i am all about creating a cohesive experience for your students so if you have some sort of logo or branding or color palette or something that you're using for your course i mean this is really getting getting into the extra stuff that i like to do (laughs) but if you even if you're filming your desk and your hands working on something to have like little props around the desk, that makes it for me as a student, if it's not distracting, obviously, mm-hmm. it sort of makes it feel like you're in this little special workspace with your teacher. And that's just a little personal touch that I really enjoy. So the filming process is an opportunity for you to create that experience with people with the surroundings with your workspace, with your wardrobe, with all the little details that you bring in that maybe a student doesn't realize it when they're watching the course, but when they finish the course, they're like, wow, that felt really special. Yeah. And that's something that I always take into account and that I think you can't go wrong with Mm. making it a little extra special. So do you use your phone for filming or, or, or like would a beginner person be able to use their phone or do you definitely need like a fancier camera in order to do the recording? Well, I've never used my phone because before I ever started my business, I have been a photography Mm. like buff for a very long time. And so I've always had a camera. Um, So for me, I've never used. And this is also another like nerdy, weird thing about me is that (laughs) I just like love this process of filming. And I know not everybody does. I mean, I love the technical process. I don't love me being in front of camera, but I love the technical like setting up the camera process. Yeah. You can absolutely use your phone, and there are so many teachers, super successful teachers that use their phone. And we also forget that there is such a thing as screencasting as well. So if you're teaching a topic that you can do a really cool presentation on your computer, you can record just your screen as well. And for my courses where I've taught in Illustrator, I have just recorded my screen, and that takes away so much of the guesswork as well when you have a topic that um, works for screencasting. But you can definitely use your, use your phone. Just make sure to clear out space on your phone so that you don't lose any of your videos. Mm. 
and to also record in landscape orientation because okay. that's how your videos will be shown. Mm, yes. So have your phone hot dog style or hamburger style. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you all say that in Canada, but hot dog, <laughs> yeah. So have it hamburger style and not hot dog style. Yeah. <laughs> so how easy is the editing? This is the part for me that I'm like, huh. How easy is that mm-hmm. for somebody that's never done that before? Yes. Or is there any do apps or anything? Do you use a Mac? Oh, I do, yeah. Okay. Well, if you use a Mac, iMovie is free, and it comes standard on all Macs, and it's free download if it's mm-hmm. not already on your computer. And it is very user-friendly. It is the only program I've ever used to edit, and I absolutely love it. And there's a ton of free YouTube videos and everything out there on how to do just like the basic functions in Mm -hmm. iMovie. But once you do it once, it's so easy. Um, I'm not as familiar with the programs that are out there for PC or Windows, but I know that there are some out there. Mm, I just cannot speak to them, but there are a lot of free programs that you can download. Um, Also, if you're recording on your phone, there are apps that you can download to your phone for video editing because I've used them before. Um, some of the better ones are paid, so like a nine ninety nine a month subscription. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely worth it to if if you're comfortable using your phone in that capacity, then that's an option for you, absolutely. And there are some Adobe apps for video editing that you can download to your phone and use. Hmm. So this is like the amount of information you've shared is amazing. Yeah. Like, wow, everyone's <laughs> going to run off and be like, yeah, I'm going to have a course now. Now, (laughs) you have a course coming up that is about, a course about courses? I do. Can you tell us a bit about it? Because it sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, um, right now, my working title is Crafting Online Courses. And I just started working on it. So I'm very much in that beginning lesson planning stage, Mm. um, in the nitty gritty and really embracing the process. Because listen, I'm a person right now that can speak to how scary it feels to just get started because this course is going to be the most comprehensive course I've ever released. Mm -hmm. And it feels very intimidating to me right now, but just being able to share this information, I feel really, really called to share this Mm -hmm. process and to make it easy and kind of a one-stop shop for anybody that has thought about creating online courses. I want you to be able to take this class and to walk away from it knowing every step of the process. And that includes that beginning topic selection. So how do you choose a topic? And really choosing the best topic for you to move forward all the way from the lesson planning to the script writing to the filming to the editing to the marketing afterwards. So it's really going to be a full comprehensive course about courses. And I hope to get it out in September Um, but obviously with all the craziness that's happening in the world right now, I'm just really not sure that that day is going to work, but, um, I'm sure I can give you all the links for people to stay up up to date on definitely what's going on with that. Yeah, that would be awesome. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be podcasting really like another nerdy thing that I get excited about. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks. The show notes for this episode are available at lanternpodcast.com. 
We welcome feedback about this episode or ideas for future podcasts. You can get in contact at feedback at lanternpodcast.com. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, I'd love it if you could leave a review on iTunes.